Well, I want to welcome you to Grace today and uh, to all of you who are watching at any of our locations. We are one church in multiple locations, uh, uh, one here, another one in Canton, and our third one that re recently opened up on the west side of Ann Arbor. We just want to welcome all of you and those of you who are watching online. Well, I probably don't need to tell you statistics that says that Christmas is one of the, is not one, it is the most popular holiday in the United States although not across the world. Uh, any guesses at any of our locations about which is the most popular holiday across the world? Just shout it out. New Year's Day, you got it, right? Uh, but, but it is the most popular here in the United States. Uh, and this, I was a little bit surprised. When you do some research on how many cards, are, Hallmark cards are sent over certain holidays, uh, Christmas again comes out on top. But uh, let, let's go from number three. Any guesses on the third most popular card giving day of the year? Uh, uh, many of you here said Valentine's Day. It's Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Uh, now, how many of you actually send cards to your mother on Mother's Day? How many of you love your mother? Let me see. Okay, great. The second most uh, popular card-giving holiday is Valentine's Day. How, how many of you send Valentine's Day cards? Let's see who's lonely here. In, uh. <laughs> now, now, look at the difference between these holidays. Mother's Day, 140 million cards are sent on Mother's Day. On Valentine's Day, it's 150 million. Ten more million cards uh, on Valentine's Day. But on Christmas... 1.5 billion cards are sent. I mean, and it's just crazy. You know, I, I think we all remember as kids when Christmas was really exciting. And then as adults, something just kind of happens, right? You, you, get a little, you get inoculated to all the festivities and all the parties. You have office parties to go to. You have uh, or performances to go. You, you, you have to travel. And not only that, but trying to do anything these days, it's like you got to take a two-day back uh, backpacking trek through Costco just to, like, get what you need for the weekend. And so Christmas, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle, I think the significance of Christmas is sometimes lost. And we want to ask this question, can Christmas still change the world? And the answer, uh, obviously, is absolutely. Let me begin by telling a story to il illustrate the, the entire message I'm going to talk about. There's a story of a, a professor who one day asked his students, what is the most important thing to come out of a mine? Well, the, after some deliberation, the students were uh, talking and discussing, and they couldn't agree as they were naming various precious metals and stones, and, and they just couldn't come to some consensus. And so finally, the professor said, uh, correcting them, no, the most important thing to come out of the mine is the miner. It's not the stones or the jewels. It, it's the person. And one of the ways that Christmas has made a difference in our world is, is this, is that the reality is, um, the, before the birth of Christ, people were viewed as either objects to be used, commodities to be traded, or, or burdens to be discarded. And, and with the arrival of Christ, that all changed. Right In the ancient world, there was a whole hierarchy of worth and dignity. So at the very top was the king. He was considered divine, and so therefore, he was made in the image of the gods. And then below him were the members of the court and the priests, 
Below them were the merchants, and then below them were the peasants and the slaves who were the dregs of humanity, and they were not considered uh, made in the image of the gods. But with the arrival of Christ, he would challenge that very idea that stood for tens of thousands of years. Imagine what it did to the hearts of the people when they were told that it's not just the kings, but they too were created in the image of God. And not just the gods, but the one true God. When Jesus looked at people in his earthly ministry, he saw uh, the imago Dei, the image of God in them. No matter who they were, no matter what they did, no matter what background they came from. And this idea of the imago Dei was first given to the nation of Israel, but then it was clarified and incarnated in the life of Jesus in a way that had never been seen throughout human history. And this belief, right, that people are of value and dignity and worth because they are made in God's image is something that is so embedded in our culture, in our world, in our thinking that we don't even think we're so unaware of how, un, un, uh, how unfamiliar that was through most of history. And so today what we want to do is talk through a story that Jesus told where he talks about love and what it means to love one another as we discuss the idea of finding love in a world of hate. It is one of his most famous stories. Many of you may know it as a parable of the Good Samaritan. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read uh, the entire story and we're going to kind of go verse by verse and unpack the story and see what this has for us today in terms of application and how we live our lives uh, today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible uh, or a Bible app, uh, you could just follow along on the words on the screen. So let's begin. This is a story, again, that Jesus tells uh, and it, it uh, recounts the exchange that he has with a person uh, asking about the question of love. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? And this is a really good question because who doesn't want eternal life to live on after you die, life with no end? Right? But eternal life doesn't just begin when you die and go to heaven. In fact, according to the Bible, eternal life begins right now. You, have, you can live a life to the full today. You can enjoy a breath and depth and sweetness to life that is available right this minute and not. You don't have to wait till the moment you die. And so this lawyer says, how do you get eternal life? How do you experience that? That is the question that this lawyer poses to Jesus. But like a good rabbi, Jesus doesn't give him the answer. He wants the lawyer to discover the answer for himself. And so he turns around and answers this question with a question himself. And he says to the lawyer, well, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Right? And the lawyer answers him with a beautiful, profound, and eloquent statement. The lawyer says to Jesus in response to his question, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you've gone to church all your life, you may have heard this so many times, and it's become very familiar to us. But that answer it's one of those answers that makes the hair on your arms just stand up because it is not only beautiful, it is true and right and profound. And Jesus actually affirms him and tells him so. Jesus says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Out of all the different laws, here is how the laws of, of God's command come, is summarized in these two commands. 
And then Jesus says, do this and you will live. This is how you will have eternal life. But then the lawyer's heart sinks, right? Jesus is saying, look, you have understood this very well. And in fact, you have said it very, very well, but now go and do it. And then the lawyer's heart goes clunk. Why? Because he thinks about all the people he, he passes to and from uh, work every day. All the people sitting on the steps, sleeping on the sidewalks, drinking in the doorways. He thinks about the morning headlines and all the dozens of bulk mail that he gets. Letters uh, asking him to give money for the abused children and handicapped veterans and victims of dozens of deadly diseases. He thinks of all the people on the books that still owe him money, that can't pay. He thinks of all the people who are still in need of free legal work. And all on top of this, he thinks of his heavy responsibilities at work and at home. And the lawyer thinks of all of this and his heart just sinks because there is no way that he could do this. Jesus says, do this and you will live. He's like, man, more like do this and you will die. A physical, emotional, and financial exhaustion. How do you do this? So the lawyer does what any good lawyer does, and he, uh, he wants to justify himself, and so he asks Jesus, can you define your terms when you, when you say this? And he says, and who is my neighbor? Can you, can, can you kind of be more clear about that? He wants help from Jesus, hoping that he would limit his scope of responsibility so that he even has a prayer of doing what Jesus wants him to. But what he's really saying is, who is not my neighbor? Who, who, whom may I legitimately set outside my concern and still feel good about myself? He wants to get into a discussion with Jesus. He wants to explore the nuances. He wants to expose the problems inherent in this conundrum. And with any luck, he's hoping that the whole issue becomes so complicated that he could go home and pay his bills with a clear conscience. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stalled for time by making simple things so complicated that by the end, you just finally have to throw your hands up in the air and blame your failure to do anything or act on something or somebody else? I have. A number of years ago, I remember sitting down with a friend and we were conversing about a number of issues and the conversation turned towards the issue of homelessness. And we discussed all the issues surrounding it and just why homelessness was such an insoluble problem. Right? Every, ranging everything from like the problem of addiction, mental illness, illiteracy, the welfare system, let alone the, the, the cost of housing in, in, in the U.S. And so at the end of the discussion, we got to the point where we just asked the question, how in the world do we even begin to do anything to address this problem of homelessness. And then as we start talking and we felt overwhelmed, we start to compare our experiences and we, we discovered that you know, there is no real correlation between how good you are, how moral you are, and how much money you have. 
And so we thought, well, you know, if there's no correlation, then why should we even give any money away, right? I mean, giving money away might make us feel better for a little bit, and it, but the chances of that money helping somebody else and changing their life are probably really slim. And again, because the problems are both individual and societal, and so why not just spend it on yourself where you know it will be put to good use? And so we ran circles in our arguments. Now, if you had a hard time following that argument, uh, please understand, that's exactly the point. We sit here and we, these arguments are designed not to make things more clear, but they are designed to muddle things so much so that it becomes difficult, almost impossible to act or to do anything. They are designed to make you feel like you really understand the issue and that your heart is in the right place, which you can prove to other people by talking quite intelligibly about all the issues and problems surrounding it. And then we come to believe that understanding the issue is really all that is required of us. And so this is what the, the lawyer is posing himself, posturing himself to. And Jesus won't have any of it. Jesus doesn't comply or cooperate with the lawyer. The lawyer wants to, to talk about love and how complicated it is and what are all the different factors of whether he should or shouldn't. Kind of like this past week as I was driving back from Grand Rapids on Friday. And, and as I'm driving, uh, I saw a car pull over at the side of the road and, and uh, uh, a man changing his front tire because he got a flat. And I remember thinking like, oh, I don't have time to stop and help him. I need to go home and finish my sermon on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Jesus knows that the last thing that the lawyer needs is another discussion. The last thing he needs is a little bit more understanding. So he tells him a story instead, a story about how it doesn't matter what you think, what you feel, what you know, what you understand about love and kindness and mercy and justice and generosity. And what's really important is what you actually do that will bring you life. Now, a little disclaimer here. That doesn't mean we should never get into these discussions. I'm simply trying to point out that we often deceive ourselves into thinking that just because we have thought about an issue, that we, we, we think we have actually done something about it. And so Jesus proceeds to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, most of us, many of us, not all of us, but most of us are, have, are so familiar with the story that, that, that uh, what I want to do today is actually tell you a retelling of the story in, uh, in a modern context that hits a little closer to home. Because when we think of a Jew and a Levite, and we just think, well, okay, whatever, right? So uh, just bear with me and let me retell you the story in, in my own mind's eye. Uh, and, and I will tell you this, writing this was very painful, uh, but nonetheless, here we go. A man was going down from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Columbus, Ohio, when he got mugged by some Bowling Green fans. I told you this would be painful, right? Bowling Green fans, really? They, uh, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, stole his iPhone, iPad, and his tickets to the game, leaving him half dead. A pastor from Michigan, Ann Arbor, uh, who happened to be going down to the same football game when he saw the Wolverine fan pass by on the other side. So too, a community group leader, when he came to the place and saw his fellow Wolverine fan pass by on the other side. Here's where it gets really painful. But a Buckeye fan 
on his way to the game, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds and gave him some painkillers. Then he took the man in his brand new Lexus, brought him to the penthouse suite of the Hilton, and took care of him. The next day, he, went, uh, he took out his American Express card, and he gave it to the hotel clerk. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will sign the invoice for any extra expense you may have. You may have. Somebody after the first service, after telling that story, uh, came up to me and said, Buckeye fans don't do those kind of things. <laughs> and I think this is the whole power of the story. I, I replied back to him, yeah. And you know what? In Jesus' days, Samaritans didn't do those kind of things. It just didn't happen. And Jesus tells the story. After he tells the story, he lets a lawyer answer his own question. So, the, so Jesus, who, are, who is my neighbor? He tells a story, and then Jesus says, which of these three, right, the two religious types, the people who are like your own tribe, your own people, who cross you the other side of the road, or the heretical outcast who is known for nothing more than lying, stealing, and cheating, who took care of the beaten man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I mean, it's a setup, of course, right? Because the answer is not that complicated, and the lawyer gives the right answer. The lawyer says, the expert in the law replied, the one who showed mercy. In other words, the one who did something. Now, you may have noticed that Jesus doesn't really answer the lawyer's question. Remember, his question was, you know, who is my neighbor? Jesus refuses to limit the scope of God, his command to love and lets the lawyer decide how he wants to act upon the command that Jesus gives him. Now, the one thing for, is for sure, what Jesus is calling this lawyer and calling us to is not to take a leap of thought, a leap of intention, a leap of understanding, a leap of knowledge, or a leap of emotion. Jesus is calling us to take a leap of action of showing mercy, of being a neighbor, of loving the stranger and doing justice. Now, isn't it true that most of us, as we think about talking about love, we don't need to hear another sermon to fill our notebooks uh, about things that we already know but aren't doing. I think it was Mark Twain who said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me, it's the parts that I do understand. And I think so many of us are like my parents. And as I use this illustration, it's going to really date this story, but bear with me. My parents were really excited one day about a uh, Jane Fonda aerobics workout VHS video that they purchased. Okay, most of you are like, what is a VHS? Um, so what, so uh, they're so excited about it. So one Friday night, I come home, and I walk into the living room where uh, they are, wa- wa- the, the, uh, they're playing the Jane Fonda workout, and there is my dad on the recliner eating ice cream, and my dad, my mom on the couch e- eating potato chips. <laughs> I turn the corner, and they see me, and my dad waves me over. Hey, son, come over here. Come on, join us. This is a great workout. The most difficult part of working out is actually doing it. And the most difficult part of loving the stranger, loving our enemies, is the same thing. 
We have intentions. We have goodwill. We have reasons why we do or don't. But the most difficult part is actually doing it. Now, now, don't get me wrong here. This is not a sermon about doing more or about feeling guilty if you don't do anything. Instead, it is a sermon about not confusing the difference between knowing, understanding, thinking, feeling, or saying uh, of love and kindness and mercy and justice and generosity, and not confusing all of that with the actual doing of those same things. Okay, that's what the point of this message is. The other point I'd like to make, and we cannot confuse ourselves in this, is that even as Jesus commands us to love other people, understand this, you can't do it, and neither can I. You cannot do it in your own strength and your own power, because loving people is not something you do in order to earn your way into heaven. Jesus has already accomplished that through his perfect life and his sacrificial death on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven and that we can be given eternal life. And all we have to do is receive God's free gift. We can't pay anything back. Receive it. And so we love other people only because God loved us first. And so don't confuse that doing good works and loving people it's, it's not a condition to salvation. It's a result of salvation. And so one thing I want to do today is I want to take some time and highlight uh, one way that we as a church have collectively been trying to love our neighbors, love uh, people. Uh, one of our missional partners is Hesed Community Church down in the Brightmore area of Detroit, one of the poorest neighborhoods in Detroit. I actually took some time uh, on a Saturday and visited there about a month ago with a group of other people from Grace. And uh, as we were talking and having lunch with them, one young man, as I was talking to him, said, yeah, you know, uh, I just came back from, from a funeral of one of my friends last week. He got shot. He was murdered. In fact, right outside the ministry house. He pointed out the kitchen window, and there uh, on the stop sign were like bows and cards and he, uh, just a little memorial set up, and he was like, he was killed right there on the corner of our house. Well, in the, as we were talking about that here, as people from Grace gathered together with people from Hesed, we ate food together, we prayed together, we laughed together, we celebrated together. Here in a moment, here was God's Hesed. Hesed is the Hebrew word for God's covenant love and kindness and mercy. Here was a picture of God's Hesed right here in the, one of the darkest areas of Detroit, Michigan. In the midst of the violence, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the hatred, here was Hesed. Here was love. Well, you know, last year, Nate Bull, one of the pastors at uh, Hesed, uh, was visiting, and we started talking, and he was talking about the idea of launching a business to help fund the ministry house in Brighton, Michigan. Because as you know, there, there aren't many people in the Brightmore area, as you might imagine, who would actually give or tithe to the church down there. And so Nate was coming up with this idea, uh, uh, wrestling with this idea of starting a business to help fund uh, the, the operating and ministry costs of that ministry. Well, we, we sat down together for lunch and uh, another person, another entrepreneur from Grace, we were all sitting together with Nate and talking. And together we came up with this idea of a screen printing company. 
Uh, and Nate Bull got really excited about the idea, and he thought, you know, if we did that, we can employ men and women right in our neighborhoods, and more than just being a geographical, limited by a geography, I, I mean, we could take orders in from the internet. Th this really has possibilities. Earlier this year, in the spring, he came, and some of you were here. We interviewed him, and he shared the story of Hesed, and he shared about what God was doing there, and he shared this idea with uh, us about this idea of starting this business. And he said, yeah, we, need, we still need $15,000 to buy the equipment, the computers, all the things necessary to start up this business. Well, that day, we took up a special offering uh, and uh, in one day, right, the need was $15,000. And because of all of you, in one day, we took a special offering and we raised $25,000 in one Sunday. 10000 more than what they needed. I mean, this was a huge blessing to them. And so ever since then, right, they, they, they've, they've been really blessed and they've been so thankful for the partnership. And uh, what I want to do is play a couple videos. Neither, neither Nate Bull uh, nor Mark Van Andel, the two, the two ministers down at Hesed, were able to join us today. And so we, ha we caught them on video to ha have them share what God is doing in Brighton and to share some updates on what's going on down there. So take a look at this. Hey, what up, Grace and Ivor people? This is your friend Nate Bull from Detroit Brightmore area, doing ministry at the Hesed House. And as you uh, know, we're so thankful for the uh, opportunity to partner with you in the screen printing business. We got the equipment has all been shipped here. We've um, our, our people have gone through training already. We've got the computers and everything, and we are ready to rock and roll. We're just waiting on some updates to the garage so that we can um, we can have the uh, equipment in the garage and we can use that as our outpost to make shirts. So thank you again so much. It has energized us in a way that uh, you'll, you may never know. As far as updates on what's going on at Hesed, um, you know, and we've talked about that the word Hesed means the, the covenant keeping love of the Father and in our opinion, that means good or bad, you still show the covenant-keeping love of the Lord to everybody. Um, the increase of violence in our neighborhood has um, been marked. Um, the increase of violence around the, uh, the ministry house has been difficult for us recently, um, but it has given us the opportunity to minister to families who are hurting, to minister to each other while we're grieving, um, and to have an increase of compassion about what has happened to many of the members of our city, Detroit. So you can pray for us as we figure out how to go about that work of the love of the Father because we believe loving people in that way is part of wholeness, which we, uh, we're all looking forward to. Hi, my name is Mark Van Andel. I'm one of the ministers here at Hesed Community Church in Detroit and we're so grateful for your partnership and ministry. We appreciate uh, what Grace Ann Arbor has done to be able to support the ministry here. Just a quick update regarding how we express God's Hesed love to the neighborhood here. I think the first thing is through the, our incarnational presence. Just like Jesus came into the world to be with us, we have come into this neighborhood to be present in this neighborhood and to show God's love in tangible ways to the neighbors. Uh, one person actually indicated to us the other day they said, you really do care about the neighborhood because you're here. 
you're present in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, in the midst of brokenness. You are present with us. And so that testimony spoke to me, just the importance of our presence and our, um, our love that we're showing to the neighborhood through tangible acts of service and also through just spiritual prayer and uh, encouragement to the neighborhood. So we're speaking hope and life in a place where, that has experienced trauma and grief and death in some cases. So those things have been uh, the ways that we've shown our Hesed love, God's Hesed love through us to this community. Secondly, uh, I'd like to update you on the uh, screen printing business that uh, Grace Ann Arbor has invested in. So we recently got our equipment purchased here and we're in the process of uh, renovating our garage into a shop for the screen printing business. We've got our computers are up to speed. Uh, we're very nearly completed with that and it wouldn't have been possible without uh, Grace Ann Arbor's support. I just want to give one uh, encouragement with that is that Josh, our house supervisor here, recently went on a training for the screen printing business and uh, really had his eyes opened to the vision that we have for him and that he has for himself for this business and his, uh, his whole spirit in coming back has been so encouraged to be able to pursue what God's called him to here in the neighborhood more fully because of that business and it's an on-ramp for him with relationships with people in the neighborhood bringing economic development right here into this neighborhood. So thank you for your support in that and uh, we look forward to keeping you updated on how God uses that business for the encouragement of Josh and the house and the ministry but also the entire neighborhood. Thank you. So on behalf of uh, Hesed community, uh, you know, I, I want to thank you because you are making this possible. And believe it or not, you are changing uh, neighborhoods down in Detroit in ways that you may never see or know. And so uh, just a big thank you. And one thing that we have done for the last couple of years is, again, uh, something we'll be doing today is on one Sunday, we, we take an offering and the entire thing goes to support all of our missional partners. Some of them listed in, in the uh, grace notes, all of them listed on our website. And um, I just want to encourage you, even as you do that, to think of this in light of the message of the Good Samaritan. This isn't something that we can theorize or just have good intentions about, but I want to challenge you to actually take a step of action and do something. Uh, we actually, at all of our locations, have members of the Hesed community worshiping here with us. Uh, and so at all of our locations, uh, if, if, th if that's you, if you're a member of the Hesed community, would you stand up and could we just express our appreciation and just thanks for them, uh, thanks for them to uh, uh, worshiping with us today. Would you all stand yeah, thank you so much. We're so glad that you're here with us. And as much as we have been a blessing to Hesed and our missional partners, they are such a blessing to us. Um, let me just close with saying this. In a few moments, uh, as we take that offering, uh, you know, you could give by text. In fact, even after the service, anytime today, if you give online or texting, it will all go to support our missional partners. Let me just close with a, few, a couple quotes that echo the very point I'm trying to make, that Jesus made and the point that I'm trying to make. This first quote is from Mother Teresa, and I thought of this quote, especially for those of us who think, man, you know, there's so many good causes out there, or, or uh, um, man, I'm just going through a hard time. There's not much I could do. Mother Teresa says this, we cannot all do great things, but we can do small things with great love. 
I'll tell you this, talk to any of the members of Hesed today after service, and they will tell you of the great love that they receive from this church. Worshiping with us, being with us, sharing life with us. The other, the last quote I wanna share is with a former Harvard professor. I don't remember who it was, um, and, uh, but I remember reading it decades ago, and I remember it struck me so much, and I think this is so relevant, especially for us who, who live in Ann Arbor, where we could just kind of like make things so academic. Uh, he, he says this, we do not think ourselves into a new way of living, we live ourselves into a new way of thinking. In other words, the challenge is lean in, live into a new way of being and thinking. If you think you're gonna logically rationalize and and get to that point where you're then gonna actually do something, that's never gonna happen. You need to begin living into it. You need to do what Jesus says, which is go and do, love your neighbor. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And pray, let's pray together. And so, God, we thank you for your Hesed love to us, your amazing love, and because of your love, that we can love other people. God, we pray that you'd open our hearts during the season of busyness and, and distractions, and you'd help us remember the reason why we celebrate as we look at the baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, may we be reminded of the difference that your birth made and still makes today, not just here in Southeast Michigan, but around the world, through our missional partners, through, through brothers and sisters all around the world that hold your name and lift you up. And so God, we thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to be partners in the good news of the gospel. Thank you for allowing us to be enfolded into the family of God. And so, Jesus, we give you glory, and we love you because of your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.